I am delighted to be joined today by someone who is both inspirational and passionate in the world of EdTech. He's CEO of Net Support Group, Chair of a Mat, and top host on Net Support Radio. Al Kingsley, welcome and thank you for your time today. Wow, thank you. That's an introduction and a half. And it is lovely to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, it's really nice to have you here, Al, today and to be able to have the opportunity to sit and have a chat because um, you're, you're so um, involved in so many aspects of ed tech. I think that might be a good way to start is one of the things that schools are often faced with of ways of introducing technology into the classroom because it often comes at a cost. Um, what are you seeing in your work as, as chair of a map, but also in your kind of technical role? Are we using technology effectively? And if not, why not? That's a really good question. I guess the answer probably is, like most things, you know, one answer doesn't fit all in the same way as one size doesn't fit all. Um, If you're starting afresh and you have the time and capacity, then I would always argue you start with a digital strategy, which ultimately has lots of different stakeholders. It must have your teaching staff who are focusing on um, how technology can be used effectively in the classroom. And if we think about Ofsted's new focus, it's about identify and then it's about the implementation but ultimately the big thing is about impact so it involves SLT it involves your network managers it involves your finance lead in terms of what's achievable but I don't believe a digital strategy should start based on what can we afford it should be based around what do we want to do and achieve and then we work back from that to see what's achievable in terms of the classroom we all know the funding challenges that schools face up and down the country and whilst I'm an advocate strong advocate that technology used in the right way can have a significant impact in the classroom. And that's not all the time, it's where it's appropriate. The Probably the best starting point is before you spend money on new technology, surely the first thing you want to do is evidence the impact of what you've already got, identifying if it's being used consistently, regularly, effectively. And I'd argue probably the biggest one, and it's not linked to what I do as a business, it's one from my focus within education is, um, schools invest in, in technology at times, they invest in infrastructure at times, but they don't put sufficient funds aside from a staff training point of view. And it's about technology not being embedded in the classroom. Um, and I can empathise and recognise with it. We all go on a journey with technology, you know, and, and the, the classic example is you start off in that survival mode that someone hands you an iPad in the classroom as a teacher and says, there you go, your room's now technology enabled, go for it. And if you don't have confidence that it's going to start up every time, the app you're going to use is going to behave in the way that you expect, or the children are going to need um, nurturing, shepherding in terms of how they use technology, the likely outcome is, you know, a week later, those devices are turned off most of the time because of confidence. If you invest in the training, you get those kind of stakeholders and the flag bearers around the school. Then once you can evidence that the, the existing technology is having an impact with the learners, it's a much stronger proposition to say we need more of this or we need more of this plus we want to enhance it in different ways. And it is really, really hard to be a, a stakeholder and leadership behind spending more and more on technology if you're blind to whether it really has an impact. Um, and we also need to think broader. You know, Technology isn't just laptops and iPads. We're sat here talking on a fantastic radio equipment. This is technology. It's not technology as a, an add-on. This is heavily embedded in terms of some of the curriculum activities that you use and do that supports young learners. And again, I think that comes back to a digital strategy. You know, what are we aiming to achieve here? Is it about broadening children's experience? Is it about helping a teacher to be more effective in the classroom? Good ed tech in the right hands can significantly save teacher time and teacher workload. That's got to be a good thing at the moment with the current pressures. 
good technology across a large institution, a large school on that can have a significant impact on financial savings, not spending money on renewing software you don't use, leaving machines on at night, all those different factors. So there isn't a one size fits all, but contrary to the go buy this, the simple answer is have a look what you've got at the moment, make sure that your staff are actually equipped to use it more effectively. And once you have confidence, it's much more easy to buy more. I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's certainly something which I've faced over the years because I've led computing, as you know, mm. uh, in, and it is all about staff confidence. Do you think there is also a little bit of a, a bit of a stigma around the use of computing and around the use of technology for some people? Um, because actually they're not confident with it themselves. They don't use it in their own lives. Well, let's be honest. I think it's a natural persuasion sometimes to have a, a less positive view about things you don't understand or you don't have confidence. It's an easy way to justify not putting yourself in the position where you might expose areas that you're, you're less capable. Um, I think there's a challenge. There are, there are some um, protagonists, shall I say, is probably the best choice of words, that would present tech as being the panacea to everything and that if you haven't got technology in your school you can't be a good school and of course that's absolute rubbish you know ultimately the judge of a good school is about the people at the front of the classroom and the leadership of that school technology is there to undermine and undermine sorry underline and enforce um, and support where appropriate in the classroom and i do think it comes back to training you know we can all look at things and first instinct can be i don't see the point of that and then when you start using it and you identify the benefits, suddenly there's that eureka moment of, wow, now I'm confident I can use this. I can see how the, the, the young learners in my class could actually take this and run with it. And, and that is a challenge because sometimes when it comes to investments on things like IT, you've got quite a lot of stakeholders, you know, back to that digital strategy conversation. How do you articulate as a class teacher who's looking at it from a pedagogical point of view effectively to get your finance director, your chair of governors and others to understand that this investment will, it will have the right impact based on your professional judgment and those of your peers? Sometimes everybody sings from the same hymn sheet, but sometimes it takes a while for schools to embed and i don't think you can force anything on anybody i mean you know reluctant learners are no more effective whether it's teachers or students and i, I still believe it comes back to um if you're going to invest in a lot of technology then there should be an almost comparable percentage invested in staff training not a one-off but repeat training that makes sure it's embedded and probably the best strategy is to make sure that you've got those individual flag bearers who can then be the stakeholders that support the staff in the school um, and then it becomes much more effective. So again, I don't sit and say technology fixes everything, but you and I have both seen schools where technology's had a huge impact when done right. Yeah. Indeed, and, and that's yeah, well, I was going to ask you that next actually. And if you've got examples, and not necessarily naming schools, but, but if you can, fabulous. Examples of schools where you've seen technology implemented effectively for a purpose, not necessarily because it is the right thing to do or it is one size fits all. I mean, have you seen any case studies in your work um, with net support, but also as heavily involved in education, where you've seen technology introduced effectively for any particular year group or any particular project or purpose? I think the truth of it is there's lots of examples where tech is used um, with, with a broader view. Um, I might argue sometimes that if you invest in tech for a very slim and specific purpose, you're unlikely to get value in terms of that breadth of use. However, of course, you have particular focuses in terms of your school development plan, your areas that you want to focus on. So, you know, I've worked in schools where technology has been used to say, well, how do we broaden the uh, curriculum? How do we make it more accessible to learners with very diverse learning abilities and needs? 
um, where from EYFS down, introducing technology, which stimulates and inspires for many children. They see that as a game, a platform of fun and learning almost becomes hidden. They're doing it without realizing. Um, so using space, lots lots and lots with augmented reality. I think that's a really good way where, where learners understand it. They can take their experiences of Pokemon Go. They won't know that it's AR, but they understand what's happening and other games like that. And suddenly learning becomes inspired. Um, as a vendor, I've also looked at it and, and I have a, a very, very fortunate position, which is I can go into a school and I'm, I'm wearing a hat as someone who's spent the last 20 years working in the education space and also has a tech company that can make stuff. Uh, and we've seen, for example, in terms of early years in Key Stage 1 assessment, there are various tools available for that observational assessment. We're not, I'm, I'm not an advocate of testing, so I think observational assessment's got to be the way to go, where huge amounts of time can be lost by doing things in rather a repetitive or perhaps not the most efficient way of doing things. And so we've looked at that and we've developed tools that allow schools to be much more effective in how they capture those observations. Um, I think there are some schools, um, Charlotte's is a good example up in Birmingham, uh, Mark Grundy, their school there, they've supported lots of schools that join their academy and they've used technology, I'm sure he won't mind me sharing, uh, to create a framework that basically they can put into a new school. and. Sometimes you might have a struggling school and the solution is to jettison in, you know, a new head, new deputy head, some leadership that supports the school for six months and they go again. But actually putting a, an infrastructure where information is accessible, content's available, where staff feel they're empowered to access all the resources they need actually is a much more strategic process for embedding in learning. So, you know, there are different strategies and approaches. My view, and we've talked about it before, you know, is that especially in primary, but in all aspects of education, it's about breadth of experience, you know, and I think technology unlocks so many more things, you know. There would have been a conversation a few years ago that would said, well, a VR headset's a gaming platform, what on earth's the purpose of that? I know I've sat in the last two weeks in classrooms with children with their class VR headsets. A teacher has an iPad at the front, they can see each of the kids' screens, what they're looking at with their headsets, they can see where their eyes are on the screen, and they deliver them content. And suddenly, simultaneously, they're all in the Amazon jungle looking around, trying to spot lizards hidden behind things. And the engagement, the level of actual desire to interact and, and learn. And quite frankly, as an adult looking at young learners, the excitement, the animation, the enjoyment that that unlocks, compared to giving them a book with a picture of the Amazon, there is a significant difference. Now, you don't do it for fun. It has to be tied to what you're teaching in your curriculum at the moment, and then that creates the inspiration to take it away and do your writing projects, your, whatever else you want to do with it. And again, I, I think it's more that tech is always going to be that supporting role. You know, we can talk about the less flamboyant and exciting bits about back-end infrastructure and saving money, um, and that's important too. You know, nobody wants to buy 30 iPads for a classroom if you haven't upgraded your Wi-Fi in the last 10 years. You're not going to get the experience you expect. Um, but I also think what we don't celebrate enough in the UK, and there are there are plenty of trying to, EdTech50, the work of Ty Goddard and Mark Anderson and yeah, co, definitely. is a really good example, is we don't celebrate all the good stuff, all the different innovative ways that schools are using technology alongside just fantastic teachers and leaders, um, and actually promote that we're already doing loads of cool stuff. Our challenge is to share that so other schools that aren't yet don't have to go through the journey of making all the pitfalls. They can go straight to the successful model. And that's a really good way. Look, you know, go on Twitter and search for hashtag EdTech50. You'll find loads of schools that have done some cool stuff. And most importantly, the thing I love most about education is people share. 
Yeah. You know, in the commercial world, what you know is your secret, it's your IPR, it's your advantage. And in education, it's all about sharing. Um, and so there's lots of ways where we can evidence impact with technology effectively. I think I think it's so true. And in fact, just as you were talking, I was thinking about um, the the way in which Twitter certainly has enhanced my practice and it's enhanced mm. my professional development because so many opportunities through the use of technology, of course, Twitter being one aspect of it, um, have opened doors for us as a school. I mean, we use it obviously to promote lots of things that we do, our radio station being one of them, which we'll, we'll come on to later, I'm sure. But also in terms of sharing the children's learning, you know, we're, we're, we're a blogging school. We lots of children uh, write about things that interest them on our blogs. Again, another tool to promote enhanced learning. I just walked into a class be before we sat down here, and, and there's a, a, a chap in there doing some writing. But he was so engaged with his writing because he was using a keyboard to put down his thoughts where he actually isn't a particularly confident writer, you know, mm. on, on paper. So it is adapting and using those tools to best effect. With, with particular There is children. a perception, isn't there? I mean, social media, I would argue, and, and it's not my creative idea, others have, have, have recommended this many times before. You know, as, as a newly qualified teacher, platforms like Twitter are your best bet as a PLN and your learning platform. And there is perhaps a perception from, from less tech-savvy users that social media all falls under one umbrella and you know i don't want to be on facebook i don't want the kids to see what i'm doing and so on but twitter really can be an effective work platform and um, certainly in my experience whenever you pose a question or ask for advice on something you know within minutes you get dozens and dozens of people saying i've got a resource i've done that before i can share my experiences and why wouldn't you why wouldn't you tap into this fantastic online community mm. you know there are certain people that you know you can always go to for consistent and reliable advice but at the same time I think it's one where um, you'd be foolish not to and it's but it's also about schools and leaders recognizing that and empowering their staff to be able to access that so that they can find support and advice true, yeah true and I think also it's the connections that can be made so from a from a school such as ours we're based obviously in in the heart of rural Wiltshire to have that opportunity to then use social media to interact with uh, schools in other countries with educators in other countries we uh, I used it to, to to link up with somebody who did a, a live Skype Q&A with us from New Zealand from Pakistan you know, that is the, the benefit of technologies moving forward. Certainly a couple of years ago when we were, um, as, a, as a business, the net support side of the business, we were in, we were in Dubai and we were broadcasting. Uh, and we took the wonderful Mr. Russell Prue and the Anderson Tiger Kit and we broadcast live from, from, the, from an education show called Jess in, in Dubai. And um, we connected up with a school in the UK and we had conversation between the children in Dubai and the children in the UK. And, and that kind of experience, I think, is where that kind of connected classrooms and we did i mean as part of our trust we did connect to classrooms with schools in kenya and um in recent years you know that has meant that suddenly you change to being able to interact and communicate and skype with them and it's all about children getting a sense of culture and other people around the world and the bigger picture and and you are identified you know in rural wiltshire their exposure to that breadth of cultures might be quite different to an inner city school so in many ways you're giving them that opportunity to engage with that wider audience but going one step beyond as well you know and and i have to say much as you know we engage in obviously i'm here today you know it's lovely to, to have a chance to look around your school it's a it's a wonderful school with a really really nice vibe so um you know, Thank I, you. I, I totally understand why you and your staff and students are so proud of it here well, so thank you. That's, and that's really, really kind of you to say. And it's a real pleasure to welcome you into the school because, of course, it's technology that brought us together. 
in, in a sense. Absolutely. In a, it's actually yeah. in the work that we've done. Um, we were very privileged to join you at BET last year, um, which was a real a real a boost for the children's confidence. And you've been a huge supporter of our, of our radio station. But I know that also you are looking at using Net Support Radio as a tool yourselves. Yes. You? And, I mean, and the I've... value of it. I mean, I'd love to say we'd be as effective as your young people were on your radio station, and certainly at BET, weren't they fantastic? You know, yeah, they were. They yeah. really, really did um, mm. represent the school and themselves fantastically. Yeah, I mean, as a business, you know, the word business for many people, certainly in education space, immediately clicks a switch and turns people off and says, hang on a second, you know, there's a different role. Most people who know me will know that my life is spent between working a large part of my time in different schools around the country um, and having the technology business that develops what I hope are things that will enhance and support teaching and learning. Um, but as part of that, you have to think, well, how do I communicate? And the, and the world of communication changes. You know, 25 years ago, my first thought for a marketing campaign would have been to send a load of faxes out. You know, we're not going to go there today, nor do we want to get a load of um, spam from us, courtesy of GDPR. Um, and equally, what people want to share is not a message of, hey, we've got this, buy it. What people share, like on Twitter, is about sharing ideas, experiences, and advice. Because the biggest decision factor when it comes to buying technology or engaging with people is about trust. It's about understanding that they they get it and it's about sharing. So lots of what we do on NetSport Radio, and we want to broaden and continue to do, is about conversations, a bit like this, with different people of different experiences within the education space who can share their ideas and experience. Top tips, places to go, people to follow, products you might want to try. Um, and I think that's really part of our giving back to the community. You, you referenced BET last year. You know, We had two stands. We didn't need two stands, but we chose as, as a business to have a second stand and make it a platform for 30 educators around the UK to come and present. It was our kind of share your best ideas, something they wouldn't have been able to have done otherwise. The value to us is we're always learning too. Our products aren't, you know, I'd love to say they're all my idea. They're not. They're shaped by the dialogue and the relationships and education we have. They're always shaped by that. It'd be great if you could. You know, would you be able to? Have you ever thought of doing? And then it's empowering and bringing those ideas to market. So, you know, it's very much a, a close relationship. And I think radio increasingly is a platform. You know, young people are used to listening to content in, and consuming it in so many different ways. And of course, from the classroom end, those skills they develop in terms of oracy and planning, and the biggest one for me of all is just that confidence, seeing that confidence grow when they're using the radio. But I think increasingly us sharing bite-sized chunks, ideas, feedback, people can consume it as and when they want. There's a NetSport radio app they download, and we're gonna broaden that for, for BET 2020. And um, we're also hoping that you will be there again with your team. We would love to. Live. We would love to be there. I mean, you're at, yeah, and and I think that the ish, the the whole idea of podcasting and audio for professionals is is taking off. You know, I agree, it, yeah. isn't it? It's really growing. I mean, people people are using this as now as as, as their their soundtrack when they're they're mm -hmm. tra traveling and they're commuting rather than sort of read a book or or just sit there. They're actually listening to something which is going to give them some CPD. I've had people call oh, me yeah. and have a conversation and say, look, we've got challenges here we're looking at updating in terms of our safeguarding policies or software and so on you know can you share some advice and information and i've sent a link back saying look there's a conversation a podcast i did last week have a listen when you get a chance and then you know a day or two later i'll get an email saying thanks really enjoyed that i listened to that while i was sat on the sofa watching the football it was a chance just to catch up on something it's easy to consume uh, and it and it helped and it doesn't work for everybody but if, if you want to share, the boost of it is you put content in as many different formats as you can. 
within the, the, the remit of your resource and capability. But as we're doing now, sometimes you just consume and get a lot more out of a conversation. To sit and chat about what's happening in life and ideas, um, I think is more interesting than a textual article. Certainly yeah. for me, it's something I'd engage with quicker. Yeah, I, I yeah, completely agree with you. And actually, over the over the time that we've had our radio station, it's it's something which I've really got into myself. You know, I now I create a podcast uh, called Westwood Talk, which is a, a weekly podcast, like a digital newsletter for parents. Okay. So rather than consume the information through the the the, the newsletter or the PDF we put on the website, they'll listen to the podcast. You also know that I produce a, a teacher tech podcast, which is conversations like yep. these with professional people um, sharing ideas, and that is growing an audience you know people are really keen to, to listen to, to experts in their field but back to my other example about how do you get the most out of technology it's about having flag bearers like yourself that you're pushing the umbrella and pushing the lead about how radio can be used but rather than doing it just here you're sharing it and developing it with other schools within the area supporting that and then that becomes embedded and it grows but someone's got to take the lead and identify that and you know isn't it fantastic? You're promoting the use of technology and it's that piece of technology that's allowing you to promote the use of it. It's yeah. kind of a perfect scenario, isn't it, it is, really? Yeah. Yeah, it you is. know, and I always mention when we talk about these things, you know, lots of this comes back to some of the work that Russell Prue's done with Anderton Tiger and they very much are the, the radio kit people and Russell, obviously, we all know Russell, fantastic in terms of his engagement with young people and the work that he does. Um, but I think that's where they get, you, you get people who are recognised and respected in the area. You've, you've done so much at this school that in terms of profile, it's fantastic, you know, and hence the reason we're all talking to you from different locations and you're having seen some of your viewer stats. It's pretty impressive it, for a school. It is, and it's growing. And, and you're right, Russell has been, you know, instrumental and so supportive. And he started us off on this journey. I mean, you know, you, the kit that, that we use obviously was developed and built by him. Uh, he's been a huge supporter of our development. He's, he's worked with us in terms of our our content in terms mm -hmm. of our show structure and, and things like that and, and but he's done it all across the country you know he's, he's with the various different workshops the the various different the groups of, of things that he's done with young people I know last week he was doing an Arts Council Wells show which he yeah. did for, for four hours and it's really bringing and I can I think it's starting to see how education radio is really bringing forward the idea that it gives young people a voice it gives them a mouthpiece like you said earlier confidence also resilience behind a microphone because with live radio of course no second chances no absolutely you know there's they've got they've got the script but we do encourage off script dialogue off script mm. chat uh, very much as we're doing now but as a young person actually that's something which is 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 quite a skill and, and quite difficult to do i will say when russell's broadcasting on netsport radio for us he still doesn't trust me with the sliders unsupervised but one day <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> Yeah. But but I think I think what you've done also though is is with your with Net Support Radio and the Con because I've listened to the conversations you've had with with people like Mark Anderson and, and Henry Platten you know really really interesting diverse conversations all about the the, the really important aspects of ed tech hmm. hugely um, influential and and interesting um, and informative and and you know people then can can think well okay here's a here's a, a man here who's hugely involved in ed tech himself but he's trying something different he's trying something new. Like you say, using the technology for a really positive purpose. Um, and I think radio is one of those mediums which everybody can relate to, actually. I think so. It's the most accessible. It's the most accessible in many ways. You know. I think so. I mean, and certainly from our school's point of view, for the children, um, we, we did our last couple of shows over the last two weeks. 
and our year six children who are now moving on to secondary school are saying to me, you know, I wish we had a radio station at the school we're going to because I've learned so much from this. I've, I've developed so many skills. It's impacted on my reading. It's impacted on my writing. Um, I feel so much more confident. And it, very often, Al, actually, it's the people who you would not get to stand on a stage in front of an audience. Mm. It's the people who may not want to play a musical instrument in front of a crowd or sing or, or dance. Very often, it's those people who've got a different set of skills, a different set of, of ideas, um, but sat behind a, a microphone like this, sharing them with an audience out in the big wide world, but literally in a room full of friends. Absolutely. And, and, that, and we need to cater for all types. You know, some people express on stage, some people express in writing. And, and radio is just another medium that lends itself to many. But having listened to your broadcasts, um, there is a huge breadth of your students that engage with it and enjoy it. And you, you can see that kind of enthusiasm that comes from it. And that's what it's all about. It's about yeah. kids being engaged and enthusiastic. And a perfect example, you know, you're not the largest primary school in the country, but you've managed to give extra breadth to their experiences whilst they're here. And, you know, and I can only commend you for that. Thank you. Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what the, the, the whole idea is behind it. You know, we're, we, we do try and widen children's learning opportunities. We've been very fortunate, you know, like we said, to come to places like Bet With Yourself. We went to the ICT West of England conference uh, with Russell in, in the uh, University of the West of England broadcasting a live show in front of a group of heads, deputies uh, and prominent educationalists from, from many different local authorities, a large number of whom didn't want to be interviewed live on the microphone. Yet no. here was this group of young people who, <coughs> who actually stood broadcasting live in a large room in front of these people. Um, and that is is very interesting concept also because when we bring people in to be interviewed, it's very often the adults that get more nervous than the children. It's funny when that camera or microphone gets in front of the face how it can impact for some people. And that's mm. fine, but it isn't always as easy as it thinks. And I yeah. think the key is we all know that if you're confident in what you're talking about and you know what's coming up, it's easy to do. If you ask me suddenly off the cuff to do a chat with you about the latest fashion trends, I'd probably start to stutter and stammer and back <laughs> off a little bit because it's not my comfort zone. Mm. What you do with school radio is the children have time to prepare the content, come up with their ideas, develop it. And so they're talking from a position of knowledge and that's always easier to be confident. You know, and I think obviously it grows with practice, doesn't it? it the does. more you do it, the more you become relaxed and comfortable with it. And when you hear the output, and obviously for young people, when your parents listen to it and comment mm. how well they did, that's the way that you motivate and the circle continues. You know? Yeah, it does. And, and also, you know, in terms of people sort of tuning in, you mentioned earlier, I mean, we've got a significant number. We have about 14,000 listeners a month, but they are from all over the world. And, you know, we've had listeners from about 15 different countries. I've seen the mix. You've got a fantastic diversity. But I think sometimes it's about, it's about ideas. It's mm. about listening to effective use that could inspire in other countries. I mean, this isn't exclusive to something you can do in the UK. No, I know, know Addison Tiger are sold into many different countries. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's listening to the language, the dialogue, just wanting to engage and see young people, what's happening in schools. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's just, it's cool. I mean, I'd say one of the biggest challenges often for schools alongside, you know, engaging with some of the reluctant learners is engaging with some of the families. And I think radio is a fantastic way of building that kind of community voice, giving people a the option softly to engage more and understand more what's happening at the school, what's coming up, what the school's doing. And um, something you, sh you sh told me earlier, which really resonated with me, was very much your focus being in your, your hall is about celebration, celebrating what the young people yeah, do here. Indeed, yeah. And 
it gets talked about a lot. It doesn't always, in the heat of action and priorities and pressures within a school, it doesn't always get such a large voice. And I think finding ways to celebrate the success of the young people and the staff in this school is huge to well-being, to learning, to everything that we want to try and do to build any school and its identity. And if you can share that success and that to a broader audience, to parents to reassure, to potential future parents, to the broader picture, then then you go from being informative to inspiring. And that's yeah. the journey that I think you guys have, have clearly taken that leap on. That's really kind. Thank you. And and it, it's lovely to hear you say that, you know, because I have you know, huge respect for yourself and, and, you know, the experience that you've got. It, you know, it is something that we're always trying to achieve. You know I'm very passionate about my school. Um, I, and I've got that feeling, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but actually, if you're, if you're lucky enough to work in a place that you really enjoy being a part of, it makes such a huge difference. You know, we are a, a small team. We're a very close team. We work very, very well together. But it's all that, that word that you and I have learned, used a lot today is collaboration. It's yeah. all about collaborative working. Everybody feels valued. Everybody feels like they have a place, but almost as importantly as that, maybe more importantly, everybody has their own voice and yeah. everybody has the opportunity to contribute, children included. You know, we've got our school council here, we've got our digital leaders, we've got our eco council, librarians, broadcasters. Everybody has a part within this school and an, an element within this school that they, um, that they can relate to and that actually contributes to the running of the school. I think you've identified all, you know, all those kind of key strands, but anything that you want to do different or embed in a school, if it's co-produced, if all the stakeholders have been involved, it's always going to be easier to implement and mm, move forward. Yeah. And the fact that you're so collaborative here, you know, is the reason why having had a, a wander around, you know, so many of your staff have, have been here for a, for, for a good time and are very loyal yeah, to the school yeah. because clearly it's, it's a team, mm. you know, and I think that's... Um, that's kind of the vibe you always want to pick up in a school. You want to walk into classrooms, as I've done today, and see happy children, smiling children, and engaged children. Um, you want to see activity going on and a team that all pull together. And that's kind of, you know, something I know in our schools that I work with in Peterborough, that's something I'm very proud of. And it's yeah. lovely to see, see it in other schools. And I think that's, that's part sometimes of the alignment if you've got a common ethos and view about what a, what a school should be and your conversation doesn't start and end with results. No, That's no, it's important to me. It, it is, and in fact, our conversation started this morning with you know opportunities and breadth of experience and breadth of opportunities. That's to me. That's the priority. It's about young people leaving school with the broadest possible education experiences, memories, things that they've learnt to take away, experiences that they probably or may not get the opportunity to do themselves outside of the school environment, but probably most of all, and I talk from personal experience, is it. This is the point where people either develop a love of learning or a fear of learning. And the love of learning unlocks so much more. You know, it sounds cheesy, but we all know the lifelong learner topic is you don't finish school or university and stop learning, stop researching, stop doing. Many people choose to do many different qualifications and many, like myself, choose to read or whatever because it's interesting and you want to develop your own knowledge and skills. And I think the foundation sits here, doesn't it, that make yeah, learning it does, fun. Yeah. Really um, and having been in your... Um, 
EYFS class on this morning. I think fun was definitely top of the list. Some fantastic badges being made and activities. Great badges, but that that was fun. It was learning, but it, for their from their perspective, I'm sure that was just a fun activity, you know, which is lovely. It, it, it is actually, and, and what I always enjoy, as I, I said to you earlier, I always try and walk around the school at least once a day mm. and, and have interaction with the children. I'm lucky enough that I get to teach three times a week. Also, importantly, I don't ever tell people when I'm going to show someone around. Because I, I always like our guests and our visitors to see the school as I see it yeah. um, and, and on a day-to-day basis because nothing is ever, you know, staged, nothing's ever there for, for the visitor. This is life as it is on a day-to-day basis. And that's really important to me mm. for people to see the school as it is, particularly when I'm showing parents around, particularly when I'm showing sort of different people around. Um, but the children, yeah, you're absolutely right. The ch- there is an awful lot of fun. There's an awful lot of engagement. Um, and, and it is, you know, a lovely place to be. I'm very, I said to you earlier, I'm very fortunate. I feel very lucky with the job that I do. Um, and that makes a real difference when you're a head teacher, a teacher, or anybody, really, in whatever job you do. Yeah, and we all know the pressures on leadership, whether it's leadership in schools and education or elsewhere. You know, the pressures are undeniable and, and always growing. And I think... The thing we always strive to is for our leaders not to lose that love, you know, because that's what most people are education for. It's a passion and a love. It's not the priority wasn't the pay packet. No, you know, it, it comes along in terms of having the right to live a comfortable life. Um, and I think with so many pressures, I think the more that senior leaders still are able to maintain that love and passion and enthusiasm, then, you know, we're very short sighted if we forget that. Indeed, um, I think you're absolutely right. And I think actually that's a very good point to, to have a break. And I think okay. we'll come back with Al Kingsley a little bit later. Al, for now, thank you very much indeed for your time. My pleasure. I am delighted to be back here in the studio with the brilliant Al Kingsley, CEO of NetSupport, EdTech innovator, and of course, so inspirational in that particular field and chair of a, a very, very successful mat indeed. Um, thank you, Al. Thanks for being back with us once again. Wowzers, and it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I thought we'd sit down and have another of, of our chats about just technology and things that kind of creep into the conversation, really, because it's always such a pleasure to be able to sit down and talk to you. I think maybe should we start with online safety, because I know this is something which you are very much involved in um, and you've done an awful lot of work around. Uh, and, and as a company, you've been heavily involved in, in providing the right tools for it to be covered effectively and, 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 and sort of worked with effectively in school. I mean, do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Uh, absolutely. I mean, online safety is something that we all have a role to play, but any of us involved in education in terms of um, keeping children safe online. Um, we have obligations under the Keeping Children Safe in Education Act as well as part of that role. Um, I think where Net Support's view came from was that the traditional way for um, checking if a child's online and doing certain activity is to is to match keywords they might type against the reference database and say this is a child that's sharing information about their age and location that might put them at risk for grooming or they're searching for terms related to drugs or self-harm and so on um, and as always you always reference back to you know your experiences in school and, and recognize that the real um, safeguarding is the eyes and ears of teachers and you know, in your role as a head, when you see a child, your judgment in seconds about whether a child is at risk includes many factors. You know, who is the child? Are they a looked after child? Are they vulnerable? Um, have they been picked up on other terms in the past? Where were, they, where were they? Was it in the classroom or in an unsupervised PC? Was it inside hours, out of hours? What kind of website were they on? And so on and so on. And you make that judgment quite rapidly. 
And so without that judgment to be bombarded with emails saying, alert, this phrase was matched, can really become quite onerous because you're always conscious that there might be one in that list that's the really important one you need to deal with today. So as part of our development path, really working very much with educators, we've added a new contextual intelligence engine built around an AI model that really looks at an individual and when a keyword's triggered, we assess all of those those variables. Who is the child? Where are they? Are they flagged as vulnerable? What's their history? And we create a risk index. So if a child matches the phrase once, but it's in a PowerPoint presentation, the risk index will probably be five or six. If they've matched the self-harm term five or six times in an online forum or on searches at the same time over a period of a week and they're a vulnerable child, the risk index might be 90. And depending on the topic, so obviously suicide and self-harm sit quite high on the scale. Um, others might sit slightly lower down the scale, but they're all there to provide, in effect, the context for leaders and the DSL within a school so that they can pick up on the ones they really need intervention on. And let's be honest, some of the low-level stuff is more about shaping whole school assembly and other activities, the kinds of things you would discuss as you do here with GoBubble and other mm. types yeah, of environments. Cool. And I think these things align with the, the legislation's constantly changing and the technology's changing and, and both schools and vendors have to adapt. And often people say, oh, this should be school-led, not vendor-led. Well, the truth of it is, yes, but what if the vendor is school-centric and works with schools and generates stuff? Then, in effect, it's school and vendor-led at the same time. And so you kind of have to look at the, diff the context of how things have been evolved and delivered. But what we know on the landscape right now is we've got pressure on schools and resources. We don't have the ability within the education space to have hundreds of messages being handled by somebody. There needs to be someone who's trained to do it. So allowing technology to do a lot of that legwork and deliver the key stuff is both time-saving and increasing the efficiency of how we keep our kids safe. And so that's just one way that we've worked with technology to make it a safer environment for schools and to support schools' obligations. Um, you, you often talk about educating children as, as stakeholders because I think that's really something which is really quite important in terms of developing their own understanding of being safe online. I mean, how crucial do you think that is, particularly in the modern online landscape? You know, I think it depends on where, you're, where your, your moral compass is and where you're looking at for the long term. Ultimately, if we did the right training at an early age, put the right skills and experiences in the hands of each young person, um, under the umbrella we would call it of being good, effective digital citizens, then we'd reach a point where we didn't need to filter and block and manage things because young people would be suitably informed to make the right kind of decisions. Now, we know in reality that they... People trying to capture information, people trying to groom online, scam and others become more and more adept in their capabilities and us as adults are just as vulnerable at times to get caught out. But I think it cannot be understated in a digital world and a digital economy that we have an obligation in the broader sense of our curriculum to equip our young people to validate and make sense of the information that they choose to share and the information they consume online. So I think it's huge. I think it's part of that bigger picture about Good school leaders, good heads are focused about giving children a breadth of education and it's those life skills that sit around it that to me are just as important as the, the core literacy and numeracy. And you mentioned there something which we've certainly focused on a lot in the last year, and it's becoming a really crucial part now of, of keeping children safe, which is digital citizenship. Absolutely. And, and we focus here a lot on the idea of, of thinking before you post, you know, and being that person that is kind online. Like you say, we, we do use GoBubble. 
uh, which is a great resource for children to to safely work. It's it is social media for under 13. Social media with stabilizers, Henry Platten calls it. Yeah. Um, and I think quite rightly so. I mean, are you seeing that there is more digital citizenship being taught successfully within schools? Yeah, that's a really good one because the answer to the first part of that question is yes, there's more digital citizenship being taught. Successfully is a different measure and benchmark. And one of the things I always think is much like much of my time is spent talking about um, digital strategy for schools, the best way to utilise kit you've already got, and so on and so on. It always starts with a bit about, if you could just share from others who've already been through the journey, others that have done the legwork, found the pitfalls and so on, life would be so much easier. So I think platforms where there's an opportunity to share your experiences, content, resources, behaviour, model behaviour to peers, that kindness and sharing you know, those likes to, to other people and so on. Um, it has to be more effective than that siloed approach of doing it in isolation. Um, that said, there are some really good standalone programs that, that can support on digital citizenship. The Digicit Institute in the US, Marilise Curran, does an awful lot promoting and doing it. Henry, as you reference, has eCadets as part of his portfolio, and eCadets as a standalone program for schools I think is fantastic and has, has had a huge impact and success. Um, and there are plenty of really good quality um independent advisors that support schools alongside the fantastic practitioners that are already there in education to provide support advice on digital citizenship you know and i think the likes of alan mckenzie tracy good and others that we've dealt with in different platforms they're people that really can support that process the reality is you can never do enough there's always more that we need to educate young people um, and it's doing it in a way that young people actually get it and respect that what you're telling them is is important you know and young people are becoming much more digitally savvy. And, and in many ways, it might be that there's also a focus on making sure that staff in schools get the support and training themselves to make sure that they can deliver the latest and most relevant information. Yeah, I think it's, it's so true that in what you're saying, Albie, I mean, we were talking, you know, we've talked before about um, the need to have good CPD, the need to have good staff training, and, and the fact that it's as important as investing in the product or the platform itself. Uh, and, and digital citizenship, you know, being one of those really, really uh, important things. Also, something I think often need we need to consider is how parents can support the children in their understanding of digital citizenship. Because obviously, this this is quite a generational thing, and this is quite mm. a new generational thing. Certainly, when I was was younger, the digital citizenship wouldn't have appeared on the landscape. So, how do you think we can work with parents and educate parents so that they can support their children making the right decisions? decisions online at home yeah i mean that's a that's a whole can of worms in many ways isn't it i mean that's a really really good question in many regards i mean i've seen schools engage in different ways there's a traditional school to parent communications that go on um, i think a lot of schools are engaging in digital citizenship events evening seminars where parents can come in and schools can discuss and share that information uh, schools can share it in an online sense i mean the the tool we're using right now radio broadcasting yeah. to parents in the community is a fantastic platform particularly if you combine the message with not just ours but student voice them explaining and that they understand those risks the obligation falls on everybody and i re respect you know as a parent my children are grown up now but as a parent um it's it's scary when you think your kids are using technology that you don't understand and how are you going to protect and keep them online and of course there are tools out there to support it many of the isps provide tools but I think school has a really important role, you know, and one of the things that's often 
you know, underappreciated in the role of schools. You know, teachers are there to support children, but they're also there to support families in many different roles. It may not be on the job description, but teachers do what needs to be done to give the children the best opportunity. Um, and so that role of educating parents, which means in effect the community, um, is where I think schools can play, you know, a vital part. And, and probably the best way is to get them in or use tools like this, provide online courses and more. Um, the problem is often schools have the budget to do something once and it's it's not it's like gdpr we all talked about it last may and it was on every email we got was don't forget you can and can't do this and then it goes quiet but actually the legislation's there we're still required to do it we've still got to follow that journey and i think it's about the repeat messaging the constant messaging i, I would argue the the message from the young people probably has more impact than from us as adults. I think you're. I think it's you're, you're so true in what you say there because actually you know they're they're the future of what we're, we're working with and they're the future of you know future generations, and if it's coming from them and they're kind of leading the way in in what we should and shouldn't be doing and different ways of approaching it, different technological ways of approaching mm. it also and different different platforms to use. But also if they've got the confidence in that, they've got the confidence in themselves um, to, to sort of take that forward and then educate for future generations themselves. I think actually then we're winning. I agree with you. I but um, but it, you're right. It is getting to that point. Um, we've engaged uh, quite actively with parents. We use our social media to engage with them as we, we often do as a school. We've run evening sessions as we always do. And we're very lucky. We've got a supportive parent community all of whom are very keen to support their children, particularly in digital citizenship and, and, and online safety. But you're right, it is that repeat message. Yeah, and some schools, depending on location and cohort, some of their biggest challenges is parental engagement. There's those hard to communicate with parents, and often they're the yeah, ones sure. that you really want to get the message to. Yeah, sure, absolutely, and and, and it's it, uh, it's so true. I was going to move on now to, to, to because back at, at the time of that, um, we haven't had a chat to talk about this. And I thought I'd bring this up. You, you produced an online safety almanac. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I'm, in, I, I'm going to start by saying when we produced, um, we funded and worked with Henry Platten, mm -hmm. who. Um, in many regards when it comes to that, that aspect that we did in the, in the almanac is, is far better qualified to do it and what we really thought as a business was that there's we're constantly talking about some of the, the challenges some of the risks about digital citizenship and how to be safe online um, there's a moral point there as a business well let's produce a guide that's free to give to school leaders and staff to actually have a reference point and to cover some of the topics some of the updates um, to better inform staff and and potentially parents um, and it went down, as you'd expect, really, really well. And it's a useful resource. And we're going to do something similar on a different topic this year. But, you know, I, I think if, you, if your heart and your passion is in about education, as a vendor, it's not just about selling. You know, we all have a business to run and do. But also, many of us involved in net support, like many companies, you know, our time is split between commercial and education. And we use the business to allow us to actually do the things that we think are important there and the fact we can do those things is is, is cool i'm really and, proud of that well and, and it's always such a pleasure to see you doing what you're doing and, and to working with you and and you know over the conversations that we've had it's quite clear that actually yours and my approach to the way we work in our respective businesses obviously mine being a school and yours being split between school and business the one thing or one of the things that's really important to us is well-being is Big actually well-being of staff yeah. and you know talk, talk to me about that Al, and how that works at your place well i suppose the i mean i'm it's a bit of a confession isn't it, really i mean i've been on a learning journey about well-being and probably if you asked me 10 years ago i would probably be more of a what you might perceive as the traditional business approach of um you know let's just crack on get our job done and and um 
dare I even say it, you know, man up. But, you know, we all go on learning journeys. And at NetSupport, we are really, really focused on, on staff well-being. I think that starts in all aspects. It starts on actually having dialogue with people and, and engaging with how they are and what they're doing. It's about creating the right work environment. Uh, it's about providing support, whether it's um, an EAP program that we provide, an employee assistance program. Um, we've done um, mindfulness courses. We provide access to counsellors if people are struggling and, and often the things in people's lives that affect them. You know, it's not necessarily just about the workplace. It, can be finance it can be marital issues it can relationship issues it could be all sorts of different things so providing that support and accessibility um, we spend an awful lot of time at work and i think respecting and understanding the workplace is important um, many who have come to our offices will notice the odd pooch wandering around as part of the team um, we call them marketing support um, but sit in the office we've obviously got our fish that were part of our thing but we try and create a space that is relaxed and fun as well as being productive we're in the business to be successful you know our motivation is to create the best tools out there that schools really need and to do it in an innovative way which means they're low cost um, so we have to work fast, we have to work hard because you know that's what motivates everybody is you wanna be the best at what you do. Um, but that doesn't mean you can sacrifice it. That doesn't mean you can't take time out for a barbecue or an ice cream or a bit of fun. And I think um, many businesses, as included over the years previously, would be guilty of a bit of silo working, departments working in isolation, doing their own team things and never really coming together. And so at NetSupport, we do try and do events where it, um, it's all the teams together working on different types of bits and pieces. And um, as I think I mentioned to you earlier, um, in terms of our um, staff, surveys we do each year obviously we want to get feedback and support on that um, the average tenure of staff in net support currently is 13 years um, and given we have lots of new recruits in recent um, months i think that gives a fairly good indicator of um, people's happiness with the way that we work we can always improve we can always do more and i, I continue to respect the fact that you know there's always little things you can do and it is the little gestures that mean the most to people but um we, it's something we're very focused on um you could say i'm just getting soft with me old age but there we well, are. I, I, you could say that but i think actually Al, you, you've, you've got your finger right on the pulse of what works in a collaborative working environment you know you're bringing people together you're working with them in a really constructive way you're understanding the needs of the well uh, and the well-being of individuals and you're retaining those individuals um because you know yours is a company that they really want to work for because they feel so well looked after and I think huge congratulations to you as a company for for achieving that thank you we're very lucky we've got a, we've got a strong team and much like many schools and definitely from from being here you know I think the most successful teams are the ones that feel like they're family you know you look after each other you you get the job done and you celebrate together at the end I couldn't agree more and I, I, you're absolutely right I think this is something that we all we all strive for certainly here at, at, at our school yeah we, we try we're very close we've got we had a very low turnover of staff in 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 the time that I've been here certainly um, and we're all very very um, sort of committed to, to the benefits and, and the needs of the children but also to looking after each other as well that is so important to me and, and making sure that everybody does have a work-life balance because we all know that the teaching job doesn't stop the minute you drive out of the school car park no, and it is finding a balance. And one of the things, you know, I suppose the uh, the technical term would be ethos alignment. I think one of the reasons why NetSport and Westwood have got a good relationship, apart from the fact that clearly we have a very similar approach and view on lots of different things, mm. I think is also about finding that balance that they're clearly at the school here is a real focus on the right environment for young people and staff. 
but also with an eye to the future. It's not a school that's not looking at embracing new ideas, new technology, mm -hmm. and, and finding that sweet spot isn't always easy. And you know, I congratulate the fact that you've managed to um, embrace those two avenues. Thank you. That, that's really kind of you. And and again, it's through working with people like yourselves at NetSupport and also working with, with, with Russell at Anderton Tiger and, and Henry at, at GoBubble. You know, you, you, you're given the opportunities to, to, to experiment and to try these things and see how then you can embrace them and take them across the curriculum as part of a whole school approach. And you know the thing you highlight there, I think, more than anything else, uh, and it shouldn't be about size and scale of business, but I believe the best businesses, particularly in education, are about people not just the brand I agree and when you talk about businesses and we're very different sized businesses and scope it's still about the the trust and the relationship yeah. with individuals and that's something that I've always tried to maintain in net support is that you don't speak to a machine you've got an individual that you have a relationship with that you develop with and education is about that it's about relationships so um, yes and in terms of Russell and Henry I you know, can't think of two better people to have a good dynamic with I know they've been very supportive in the school with you they have and, and also I, I have very much enjoyed your EdTech discussions which of course Russell has hosted um, Henry's been a part of uh, and also Mark Anderson a good friend of yours and mine we have a, we have fun with our EdTech debates we have we've done it we've done three of them now and I, I kind of um when I, when I came up with the idea originally, I, in my head, and I apologise to those viewers that enjoy it, I was thinking for a bit of a session of friends sat in the coffee shop having a chewing the fat about the world. And I kind of thought, you know what, well, there's loads of things we talk about as professionals when we come together on rare occasions. Wouldn't it nice to be have that chat, but actually share the output? And, and that was the intention. And if you're going to chair a discussion, then who better than Russell? You know, Russell's the man when it comes to delivering that. And then it's about bringing people together that you trust and you value. And, you, and you're right, we've had um, Henry and Mark have, have been on, on all three of those debates. Ty Goddard joined us one, who's doing some fab work with the EdTech 50. Um, we've had different speakers. We've had Alan McKenzie, Tracy Good, both e-safety consultants, really good advisors on that. Um, we've had a real range of people that have kind of added to that value, that mix. And I think, again, part of it is, is we could have just had that conversation and then gone our separate ways. As a business, we chose to pay to film it and share it because we felt if we've come up with some good ideas or shared best practice why not why not share it with others and, and spread that value and i think that's continues to be our ethos and much like yourselves we have netsport radio and on the netsport radio app that you can access we have access to those videos along with the podcasts and radio broadcasts that we do um sharing's the game isn't it sharing is the game and and certainly you know for yourselves and, and also for us as a small village primary school the sharing element of it has taken us out there from from being a village primary school into the big wide world and Absolutely. i think and i think for the children that's given them that opportunity to see well you know what we are doing is is being heard and uh, by by quite literally thousands of people I think it's obviously, um, I'm sat opposite you, so um, I, I apologize for the overt flattery, but in terms of profile and exposure, I would suggest Westwood is one of the highest profile school radio stations in the country now. That's really kind. I mean, it, it's something which we're very proud of, obviously. You know, we're very proud of what we've been able to achieve. It's it's under three years, so it, the journey hasn't been particularly long. But what we have had is is a commitment from the children. I'm, you know, I, it's something that I love to do and I love to drive. And we said earlier, you know, you, you need in a school if you're going to have a, a project that is working and is consistent, you need somebody to drive that project. Um, and I'm so happy to be driving that project. But but actually, also, it, it's for the school and, and it's for the community. It, it's for everybody because, yeah. like like yourselves at Net Support, you know, our school is very much about a family ethos. It's very 
very much about everybody working together and getting involved in the school. You know, the events that we hold here, people come literally from quite far and wide to come and join in with us. I mean, the Scarecrow Trail uh, in Westwood, which was held on the May half term, people came as far afield as, as, as North Wales. Yeah, and I think it's also about breadth. I mean, we're talking technology today. Yeah. Let's just park it for a second. What fantastic outdoor area yeah, that you've got for young yeah, people, the different yeah. activity areas and stuff that you provide. Mm. You know, that's just as important as the technology. That's When people talk about tech, it's as if it's the be-all, end-all. It's one strand of, a, of delivering the right kind of educational experience. Um, and the fact that you've got such a mix here between your... I've seen pictures you have in reception of your dance team to your um, different activities outside in sport, as well as in you know an academic sense. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, it, it is something we always try to, to strive to achieve is that breadth of curriculum um, so that every, there's something for everybody. I think that's something I, I said that's to you when I was key, showing yeah. you around. It, it's giving somebody something to, to hang their learning experience on so that when they leave us at the end of year six, you know, they've got at least one or two things that they can relate back to and say, well, actually, do you know what? That, that kind of typifies my primary school experience at Westwood School. Very good. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, okay, we're looking to the future. Um, where next for Net Support then, Al? I mean, you're you're a hugely successful company. You've been going thirty years this Absolutely, year. Yeah. It was thirty years at Bet, of course, back in uh, in January twenty nineteen. What what's next on the horizon? Because I know you're somebody who, like myself, doesn't like to sit still, doesn't like to rest on laurels necessarily. Where are you going next? Um, we've got a few different strands. I mean. One aspect that we, you'll be familiar with is we have we have developed um, technology and solutions for um, primary assessment under the Really School brand, part of the NetSport product range. That's something we're really excited about. It's really broadened quickly, and we've had a, a really positive uptake from that. And that's something that will continue to evolve and grow over the next the next twelve months. In terms of our core products, I think. Probably the simple answer is it's about accessibility. What we've, we are working on with our core products is giving people the ability to utilize them either in a desktop environment with local control or from the cloud. And many companies have taken the decision to go cloud, host it in a browser, full stop. Um, call me um, you know, a little bit nervous on some of these things, but I'm not 100% convinced. And I say that not because I'm anti-cloud, because there's lots of reasons why the cloud is very, very effective. Um, but I would say, first and foremost, the advent of the cloud, the biggest advantage has been to the cloud hosting, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and co. And long-term, it, it involves more cost for everybody, the customer, the vendors, and so on. But the reason I pause is because, um, again, this idea of one size fits all. The fact that it makes perfect sense to store backup data in the cloud or store resources you want to share between multiple sites in the cloud makes absolute sense. The ability to access online tools that are hosted in the cloud makes absolute sense. But if I want to monitor PCs around this building from a central point in this building, why would I have to send all my data to the cloud and back? If I'm in a classroom and I want to use my instructional technology from NetSupport to monitor the kids peer assess them, test them, challenge them, and so on. Why would I want to send all that data from one screen up to the cloud and back down to my tutor and just add extra load and capacity to the network? And some people say, yeah, yeah, but the cloud's the way to go. That's what you need to do. It's more accessible. And some people kind of get where I'm coming from. And so the simple answer is we're going to do both. We're not going to move to the cloud full stop. We're going to offer a cloud option alongside some of our core products and give people the choice. And as always, the marketplace, the educators will tell us which is the right decision. Um, but choice is always the best way. 
Um, so there's lots of work we're doing online at the moment. We're always working on new functional tech. We've done some recent updates on our DNA product that made it much more scalable for big mats. We've added some great monitoring tools for network managers and other bits and pieces. It's a constant evolution. One of the big things we've done in our classroom instructional technology recently is uh, integration with Google Classroom. So um, when you start a lesson and your kids have got their technology, um, you can pull down immediately, it's lesson one for the day. The children who should be in this lesson are this. These are their Google login IDs. I'll connect to those IDs. And no matter what bit of kit they've picked up, I'll automatically connect to them and they're the children in my lesson. Ways to simplify the way that technology is used. And um, isn't that the ultimate prize? Add more functionality, but make it easier to use it. You know, if you can do more features, but the product gets simpler, that's the holy grail. Um, so that's what we're working on. Excellent. That sounds very exciting. And, and actually, we use Google Classroom. I use it quite a lot in my PPA computing teaching. Well, there we are. Sounds like we might have an opportunity to share some tech with you, get some absolutely. feedback. <laughs> Definitely. That one, I would be absolutely delighted. And also, you you know, there's, there's been quite a lot of evolution in recent years over more of a switch over to Chromebooks as opposed to Windows-based yeah. operating systems. Yeah. Is this something that you've had to adapt to as a company? Well, we, ha we have. The US market has gone, in recent year, purchased very heavily Chrome. Um, and I understand there's, there's, there's significant advantages in many regards for large-scale deployments. Firstly, Chromebooks are lower cost, and they provide easy centralized management. That's a tick in the box for the network manager and for the finance director. I think there's an age-based journey when it comes to technology. And this is just my personal opinion. So um, by all means, um, phone into the radio show and tell them <laughs> otherwise. Um, but I think when you're young, and we talk about key stage one, key stage two, um, technology is often used as a device by children to consume, is to access information, consume information, and there are obviously apps where they can engage with. As we move to um, key stage three, key stage four, there's there's far more um, engaging tools and technologies that, that technology can be used for as part of their curriculum subjects. And of course, when we move to A-levels, it's back to often about research and consumption of information and so on. But we end up leaving there and heading either to uni or ultimately the workplace. And um, I would argue that a child that's only experienced their education as a Chromebook will arrive in the workplace and be somewhat surprised in terms of fit for work skills. Yeah, of course, the workplace might change. Time will tell. Um, so I think there's a journey which says in early years in primary schools, I think iPads and Chromebooks have a place in secondary schools. Uh, personally, I believe the jury's out. I'm not sure that it gives the, 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 the full experience or access to the full resources. However, the market's moving so quick. Google are constantly adding apps. Chrome is evolving, you know, and whether you're someone that says we're a, we're a Google crew or we're an Office 365 crew, the simple answer is great. They're both fantastic solutions and they'll work depending as, as long as you've got a consistent digital strategy. Where it falls is when you've got a mixture. It's trying to keep that consistency of approach. In terms of our technology, well, the Chrome OS is very different to Windows. It's new technology. You work by having apps and extensions that plug into a Chromebook and you manage them through the Google Management Console. Um, we have developed um, our technology, so we have a student that goes onto each machine or a DNA um, agent that goes on so we can do our keyword filtering and safeguarding on those Chromebooks. And then they feed back to a central um, system and our Windows teacher or Mac teacher can connect to the Chromebooks or a Chromebook teacher can connect to Chromebooks. And that interoperability of platforms, of course, allows schools both to um, have flexibility in what they choose, but also back to cost effectiveness means they can continue to utilize legacy equipment even if they buy some new Chromebooks, if they've got some laptops lying around, they can still use them as part of the, you know, the backup for the class. Um, and I think we have an obligation as vendors not to try and um, 
shall we say, we did the opposite of perhaps with an iPhone where every few years the OS update won't work on an older version, you've got to throw it away. Yeah. Now, my view is our technology needs to always support what we think is realistic in schools. And, and often there are plenty of schools now using older operating systems and older kit. And it'd be entirely inappropriate for us to say, you've got to have Windows 10 and this level of equipment for us to work. It's just not re reflective of the, the capital budgets and spend available to schools currently in the UK. And I think, Al, that is, is probably one of the very reasons that you, you've got so many million users across so many different countries in the world. And as a company, you know, you are so ethically and, and morally right in what you're doing with your technology. Um, and it has been an absolute pleasure and a delight to welcome you into the Westwood Radio studio today and to talk to you um, about so many different things and, and to learn from your vast experience. And I can only thank you uh, enough and hugely for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure and a lovely school it has been to visit, so thank you too. Thank you very much indeed, Al. Thank you for your time.